inflation will continue to be the top challenge to retail meat demand for the foreseeable future. Retail meat and poultry prices that were as much as 18% higher year-over-year in May, according to the Consumer Price Index, should stay high over the coming months. Inventories, meanwhile, remain below pre-pandemic levels, and that combination of tight supplies and solid demand are keeping meat prices 20% higher than the five-year average when you look back at the March to May period overall. That according to the latest analysis from CoBank. Welcome to Feedstuff's In Focus, our podcast taking a deeper look at the big issues affecting the poultry, livestock, grain, and animal feed industries. I'm your host, Andy Vance. Thanks for joining us today. Brian Ernest is the lead economist for animal protein in CoBank's Knowledge Exchange Division. In his role, he provides market and industry research for the poultry, pork, and beef sectors. And in this episode of the podcast, he shares his latest analysis of those markets with a particular eye on the role inflation might play in tempering consumer demand. Ernest also shares his analysis of the supply-side situation, from inventory reductions in the beef space to expansion in the poultry sector. We'll also take a walk through the retail inventories, as well as what's happening at food service and how restaurants might weather the inflationary storm. Brian, one of the ongoing storylines of the summer has been this inflationary environment in which we find ourselves. Some of the news reports you read might suggest things have maybe reached a top or starting to level off a little bit, but I want to zero in on food prices and, and the meat sector in particular. Could you describe for us what we've seen over the course of summer is here now, maybe fall is starting to, 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 to peek out of the uh, closet. Uh, how, how have we handled this summer of inflation? It's always interesting to, to kind of see the behavior of consumers um, during this period, right? Looking at the summer grilling time, I'm always curious to see if we see, you know, much of a change or if things kind of stay the same. And especially coming out of what has been two, you know, really drastic years of change in terms of consumer behavior and um, consumption patterns. And, um, you know, things seem to have held up pretty well this summer um, in terms of uh, meat disappearance and uh, specifically looking at at the retail segment, it's held up pretty well, despite uh, kind of what we have is, is right now, you know, it's kind of coined as the, the dog days of summer, right? We're, we're kind of coming through that period where uh, things start to trail off a little bit and, and folks are, are thinking about going back to school again. So their behavior changes a little bit. You know, overall, it, it seems like the, the higher price environment that the consumer is seeing hasn't really impacted their uh, spending uh, at, at from a protein standpoint overall all that much uh, this summer. Um, we might be seeing a little bit of trading off uh, from the higher price proteins down to the, the lower price, but from uh, from what I've seen, it, it kind of um, income really uh, dictates a lot of, of that uh, change in spending behavior, or at least what um, uh, what's showing up in the data so far this this year. That's the thing that I find really interesting because if you, you know, just scan social media, you get this sense of sort of, you know, unease among consumers. They know the price of everything's gone up. Certainly if you're paying, you know, $4, four fifty a gallon for gasoline and you're paying more for everything at the grocery and you're paying more for rent and whatever other your utilities have gone up because energy prices are higher and so on and so forth. I've I've been, I guess, a little surprised that we have seen the resilience or the robust demand that you described. Is that a reflection, you think, that the economy is 
actually maybe contrary to what the sense of unease might indicate in in pretty solid shape i i mean i was reading stories here trying people trying to determine if we're in a recession or not but when i hear us talk about this robust meat demand uh it, it just makes me wonder what the heck's really going on out there with this economy well i think it's a bit difficult to say when you when you look at the different sectors um you know certainly we, we may see it uh show up from a, a recessionary environment might show up in in let's say manufacturing uh, or durable goods uh, versus the the non-durables, um, thinking about things like meat and and uh, food, you know, folks still need to eat every day, right? And they have taken on a little bit of a new behavior uh, throughout the pandemic, where they may not have been eating out as much, uh, you know, through 2020 and 2021, uh, but they certainly had meat in their refrigerator or food in their refrigerator, um, and and that that behavior is still kind of carried through, and I think. Um, some of the pent up savings uh, still kind of, you know, works into the budget right now still. Um, so we may still see a delay in terms of the period where um, consumers, you know, don't necessarily drastically change their behavior, even though uh, they're bracing for what what the media is telling them is a recessionary period ahead of us, right? They, they maybe kind of are, are still kind of stretching things out a little bit. Um, as rents go up, as they're taking on a uh, new higher mortgage price, let's say, or even uh, one of the things that was brought up to me recently, thinking about student loan payments and those coming back into the picture here, uh, potentially down the road. So um, there's a lot of things that, that can impact the budget. Um, I think overall, uh, Americans, it seems like have, have really gotten used to um, including meat in their diet as, and they've increased their, their protein consumption overall. So that seems to be one of these sticky behaviors, at least in the near term, that, um, that may carry out uh, and, and you know, has, has proved really uh, beneficial for the, the animal protein space as, um, as they're working towards what does the, the future look like for production. In your most recent contribution to CoBank's uh, kind of quarterly report of what's happening out there in these various sectors of agriculture, uh, you had a couple of graphics that I thought were really interesting. One, showing retail meat prices, and certainly we're seeing retail meat prices that are higher than they've been in a decade, maybe ever. I don't know. You can give us maybe a broader view. The The chart certainly showed uh, about a decade's worth of of pricing. So we're we're talking about these maybe record high or near record high prices. So you would expect that other shoe to drop at some point. The other thing I thought was interesting in terms of the data visualization you shared is that consumers have gone back to spending more money for food away from home than food at home. The pandemic had flipped that and we, we obviously were eating at home. We weren't going out. We were buying all our food at the grocery store and not at uh, food service and, and retail in that space, but those behaviors have, have flipped again. Uh, th there's, I would think some risk in that sector yet, if we see some of those, those pieces, the volatility puzzle you just described come, come back to bear. Is that a, a fair read that if I were in the food service space, I might be, I might be nervous about what lies ahead. You know, the food service business has, has just had if, if you're still a participant, you've shown remarkable resilience through this whole situation, right? And they've had to make some tough decisions around passing along higher prices that they're seeing uh, onto the consumer or whether to, to you know, try and um, uh, internalize that as much as they could. 
and, and, you know, folks were certainly in 2022, it seems like willing to, hey, I want to go back out and, and eat in a restaurant again and get that feeling that, um, you know, that I, I can have that experience again. And they were asking for uh, the experience that really brought them to the restaurant, right? Something that was you know, either fancy or, um, you know, a little bit different or uh, some, some foods that they got used to cooking at home, right? But they, they wanted the, the chef to show them how to do it. And, you know, overall, that, that really strong rebound that we've seen in Q2 uh, in food away from home spending, uh, you know, I, I think that holds up but it probably kind of alters in terms of the behavior of where consumers are, are going to be spending that dollar away from the home for their food. Probably in the back half of the year, we, we see that that change a little bit. And I, I do think income constraint will play into that picture. Um, probably going to see more of that spending transition away from the higher end restaurants to, um, let's say, QSR segment or, or, or quick serve as, as you know, we, we see some more quote unquote, uh, you know, normal behavior with uh, kids going back to school and, uh, you know, regular activities kind of making food less of a, uh, an occasion for the family than, uh, than it was maybe over the last two years. We've talked quite a lot about the demand side of the equation, but I think we should spend some time on supply side as well. Typically when we would, we would say uh, the only cure for high prices is high prices. Now that could be a uh, a demand side effect, but high prices often indicate, hey, we should we should expand on the supply side. Are we seeing any indicators that the various meat and animal protein sectors are thinking about taking those market signals to heart and producing more? It's interesting. Typically, and I, I guess the last time we had really strong uh, margins or profitability, uh, throughout the protein space, it looked like the broiler industry really charged ahead, you know, thinking about like 2015 through 2019 period, we saw an additional, let's say two to, to 3% somewhere in there. Uh, annual increase in, in production. You would expect, given that um, they're, they're seeing really strong revenues coming from the chicken side, that they'd, they'd expand. They'd be the first one to say, yeah, let's let's expand. There's a couple things kind of really holding back. It seems like one of those, um, you know, it, it's it's been widely cited that uh, they're having some breeder issues there uh, in, in terms of the productivity rate that they're getting from the current breeder stock. Uh, it looks like it appears over the last couple of weeks that may have improved a little bit. I've been looking at the chick placements and they've, they've started working their way higher a little bit. So we may see some expansion just from the, the very, you know, front end level of those chick placements, but haven't seen a lot of expansion from a, a raw product standpoint, the deboning uh, or the interest or expansion in the deboning space really hasn't uh, continued beyond 2021. So um, alternatively, though, if you look at the beef sector, there's tremendous amount of uh, um, interest in expanding beef processing. Uh, I've seen a couple announcements over even over the last month of, uh, you know, one commitment in Amarillo, Texas, that they're going to open a new plant there. They're looking to put cement in the ground here pretty soon and uh, break ground on uh, different operations. So um, the beef industry appears that there's there's a lot of interest there. The, the interesting there, thing there, though, is we're seeing the cattle herd contract. There's uh, been a pretty strong reduction in the amount of beef cows uh, during the, the, the first half of, of 2022, really a, a kind of a long tail here in terms of the, the declining cattle population. So at the same time, we're seeing 
uh, you know, a, a rise in interest in, in beef processing, you've got fewer cattle that will be able to process when those plants are open. So we may have a little bit of a, an issue, I think, of an imbalance in terms of supply demand, um, but that probably improves uh, the situation for the cow-calf operator. So once we get out into 2024 or 2025, the situation might look much better for cow-calf operators than what it does currently. Time to pull out your crystal ball and and let's think about the road ahead from here. What are the, you know, whether it be uh, indicators, uh, headwinds, things that you think a protein producer in this space ought to really be watching in terms of what might either uh, lift or derail their business over the next three, six, 12 months? Well, I think there's, you know, we're, we're maybe at a point where we can have a little bit of a sigh of relief <laughs> getting, getting through the summer period. And thinking ahead, there's still some challenges out front that I think are, ha, have been um, challenges for the industry. We've got highly volatile feed cost environment, um, which I don't think really goes away. That probably persists here, you know, next six, 12 months for sure. Um, especially with the, the, the situation with in Ukraine still boiling. Um, and, and that impact that it's going to have on global grain supply. Um, outside of that, you know, I think there's, there's um, uh, still some question on, on Prop 12 in California of, of how that's going to impact the pork industry. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's holding back a little bit of the, uh, ex any expansionary uh, measure or any expansionary plans in the pork side of the business too. So um, those are, those are a couple of just, you know, kind of the high level things that, uh, uh, that, that uh, keep me up at night sometimes, you know, thinking about. Um, but outside of that, I also think the export environment um, has been very, very strong for animal protein. Um, specifically pork and, and poultry have, uh, have seen a, a very strong interest in, uh, in, in U.S. Uh, supply. And, um, you know, while it, it appears that, that that looks like it's still in good shape, we're sitting at some levels that are historically elevated from, uh, from what we've seen over the last 10, 20 years. So, um, you know, that if, if we start to see some of this decoupling from a, a global standpoint, um, you know, that has the potential to impact uh, overall exports. And lastly, I just kind of want to mention looking at highly pathogenic avian influenza that has had a severe impact on poultry and egg markets here this year. And um, it's, it's drawn on a little bit longer than we typically see. Um, usually we start to see those cases trail off in June, July. Um, and we're, we're still seeing some cases in Utah uh, show up. So, um, you know, that, that has a potential for some concern moving forward um, for, for the U.S. poultry industry. Thanks to Brian Ernest from CoBank for his latest insights into the global meat sector more broadly and what the future holds for U.S. producers and the animal protein industry. You can read more of our coverage of the animal protein markets in the pages of Feedstuffs. Find our latest edition by visiting feedstuffs.com and clicking on Digital Editions. I'm Andy Vance, and you've been listening to Feedstuffs In Focus. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to hear more conversations about some of the big issues affecting the livestock, poultry, grain, and animal feed industries, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platforms, including Apple and Google Podcasts. Or you can always visit our website, feedstuffs.com, for future episodes. Until next time, have a great day, and thanks for listening.